You are listening to the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to this Business Matters with me, your host, Anameen Templeton. Yes, well, today is the U.S. Fed Day. Uh, the U.S. Fed right now should be actually sitting down and making its uh, considerations as to whether or not... Well, actually, it seems like the market is saying they definitely are going to cut interest rates, but whether or not it's going to be uh, uh, 25 basis points or 50 basis points, uh, we're all waiting to hear. Uh, indications are that if it's uh, not that a dovish uh, comment coming out of the U.S. Fed indicating that they're not going to be any more interest rate cuts this year, then uh, the RAND is likely to fall. Uh, but if they indicate that there are more interest rates coming, uh, cuts coming later in the year, then uh, that could be good for emerging markets. So uh, anyway, everyone in the world is now waiting for this uh, 25 basis point cut. You know, uh, markets all around the world are waiting. Um, currency dealers are waiting. Uh, bond dealers are waiting, emerging market dealers are waiting, and everyone's kind of sitting down saying, where is the money going to go? Uh, people are asking questions. In fact, I've got a copy of an article from the, the Washington Post. Now, that's the barking mad megaphone for the White House, basically. Uh, and, uh, and it has been for many years. It's regarded as a quality newspaper. But it really does uh, produce quality propaganda uh, in many instances. Every now and then it comes up with an interesting question, and it's asking today, why, if the American economy is so strong, do we need to cut interest rates? Which is, of course, a question I've been asking on the show for many months. So if we have time later on, uh, we'll take a look at uh, what the Washington Post has to say about one of my favorite topics. Um, and, uh, yeah, other things coming up in the show. South Africa has moved into a trade surplus in the last month. Anglo Gold has announced it sees earnings up 29%. Kisveta, the new SARS commissioner, uh, is uh, acting, is taking, is now moving on uh, officials implicated in the, the Nugent report. Standard Bank says it's rethinking loans and coal projects. And uh, taxpayers' return time is nearly up. Yes, you've got until the end of August to get your, your tax details all up and done and ready. Um, you know, if you're one of those people who has to pay taxes, well then, I'm afraid, yes, the end of August is coming and it's waiting. So, yeah, this and much more coming up in the show. But uh, in the meantime, as we always do, we cross to uh, the JSE to have a look at uh, what the tail of the tape is saying about the South African economy right now. In as much as it's a barometer of national sentiment, I'm not really sure. As I say often, uh, there are many people in this country who go through their entire lifetimes not worrying about what is happening with the JSE. Uh, in many ways, it's a barometer of uh, wealth creation in some of the urban areas. But rural areas, well, you know, their fortunes are, are very much uh, written in up and down figures on the JSE. But their interest and their ambitions are not represented anyway. Right. So anyway, it's um, a bit of a fallback today. As I say, uh, emerging markets waiting to see what's happening with the U.S. Fed. And uh, the old share index on the JSE, no different, uh, losing 0.8% down to 56,784.61. The uh, top 40 index with a strong exposure to international shares also down 0.8% on 50,798. Uh, indicating, well, you know, uh, we could be heading in for tough times or we may be looking at a rebound. And, uh, you know, uh, over the last, uh, over the last six months, that's basically where the, uh, t the all share index has been range bound. Uh, somewhere between 56,000 and something, uh, to 59,000 and something. And it kind of like moves up and down there. Uh, that range does give, um, a, a smidgen of profit for, for the, uh, for the brokers who, of course, make money when the JSE goes up and they, of course, make money when the JSE goes down. Doesn't matter matter whether people are buying shares or selling shares, the broker takes his cut. Uh, so anyway, um, that kind of liveliness on the JSE, the uncertainty in the markets in many ways, um, 
uh, if it wasn't for uncertainty in the market, if it wasn't for uh, the South African tendency to shoot ourselves in the foot and to always imagine the worst about ourselves before we consider uh, other people, um, it's, it's this tendency that in actual fact is, uh, is a major contributor to uh, the movement up and down on the JSE that we're seeing. And uh, would that uh, instability uh, be possible without uh, journalism outlets? Uh, I say very often that uh, Reuters and Bloomberg, uh, accounting as their trading platforms do for 90% of all currency trades in the world, um, you can understand that uh, they they would have a lot to gain uh, from stoking instability and insecurity. And, you know, um, South Africans being South Africans, you know, we do feel something for our currency, which is quite an idiotic thing. But there you go, you know. I mean, the rand and the strength of the rand is seen as basically a reflection of the measure of uh, confidence in our economy. And if the rand is anything to go by, well, South Africans are really, really depressed nowadays. Um, It's such a beautiful country, you know. We really live in a beautiful country. Back in uh, 1997, I headed off to India. I was there for about three and a half months. And uh, in that time, every now and then, I'd find myself speaking to uh, an international tourist from uh, somewhere else in the world. And they'd ask me, so what is South Africa like? And I'd say, well, you know, and I'd start describing South Africa. Is South Africa hot? Yes, yes, you know, South Africa is hot, you know, it gets as, uh, sometimes as hot as India, although like the hottest parts of India are hotter than the hottest parts of South Africa, unless of course you've been to Rimfasmark in the Northern Cape. Um, yeah, so uh, then, you know, I'd start describing, well, you know, we've got, uh, we've got uh, uh, tropical and subtropical regions, we've got kilometers and kilometers of golden beaches, you know, we've got pristine wildlife, we've got seven uh, plant kingdoms in one country, you know, uh, some, uh, some continents have, have uh, less plant kingdoms than South Africa has. You know, uh, we are, uh, we, we're a, a flora miracle. And uh, what fantastic weather we have. Really have fantastic weather. Um, You know, speaking about Indian weather, you can say Indian has fantastic weather uh, in springtime. And uh, maybe, you know, on either side of the monsoon season. Uh, But uh, South Africa, we, we have fantastic weather for about six months of the year. Yeah, we have fantastic weather for about six months of the year. And uh, we've got fantastic infrastructure, you know, about the roads and all of these kinds of things. And, uh, you know, it's a very interesting, it's a dynamic country. Uh, You can see so many things and you've got so much access to so many things. And suddenly I start asking myself, now, what am I doing in India? (laughs) Um, I mean, I have traveled my home country rather extensively, but there are still parts of South Africa that I haven't seen. I haven't seen the, the, the West Coast. Never been uh, to the, you know, well, I was sent to the army in Uppington uh, for two years uh, back in those dark, dark days. Um, and I, I did work in Kimberley for six months back in 1990, back in 1990 when the um, My Cat Cricket Tour came through. Well, that was a very interesting experience. Nelson Mandela being released in that same year. Uh, ANC unbanned, start of negotiations. Uh, all of that happened while I was down in Kimberley for six months. Well, that's basically been my um, my connection to the western side of the country. Uh, yeah, so we do. We live in a fantastic country. You know, if it wasn't for us, South Africa would be a great place to live. Hmm? Yeah, really it would be. Uh, but, so, you know, so we, we, we do tend to kind of like... Um, measure ourselves externally rather than uh, looking internally to find our confidence. Hmm? And isn't that the secret of life? Huh? You, uh, you, um, you find yourself, your, your, your inner balance. Without that inner balance, uh, it doesn't matter what kind of external measures you rely on. You're never going to be on an even kill. Mm-mm. Yeah, and really, maybe, in a way, you know, uh, we, we, we're so full of insecurities as a nation. Uh, 
You know, we're so riven by racist tensions, racial tensions. And I think a great saying is, if you want to escape from racial tensions, leave the country. Uh, it, it is a factor of life, and it, it is something that we're going to have to get over. And, uh, inshallah, we will reach that stage. Um, but, yeah, we are still working with problems of the past rather than looking for the promise of the future. Uh, and so it is, you know, we tend to kind of like measure our national spirit in terms of the performance of the rand. Uh, and we're above 14 to the dollar again today, 14.17, we're on 17.31 to the pound and 15.77 to the euro at the moment. Uh, gold is showing a, a downward trend. Um, yeah, uh, fourteen a thousand four hundred and twenty-five dollars a moment of a fine ounce of gold. Uh, it went above. Uh, it went to uh, one thousand four hundred and thirty-five early on in the day. Uh, it's fallen back. I suppose gold dealers, just like everyone else, waiting to see. Of course, uh, gold being a very low interest-bearing uh, asset. In fact, it's the lowest interest-bearing asset you can get. Uh, well, I don't know. Actually, the European Central Bank is now starting to move into negative rates, so that's really going to put gold under pressure. But nevertheless, uh, you know, uncertainty is building. Uh, the U.S. trade war with China, uh, is it a battle for survival, or is it a, a contrivance to uh, draw attention away from other aspects of the U.S. economy? Mm. Uh, you know, uh, that question does come back. Why, if the United States is doing so well after like nine trillion dollars worth of easy money thrown at its uh, at its economy, why is the United States lowering interest rates? Shouldn't this be the place where they raise interest rates? Of course, it's a it's a very good question, and we'll have a look. See, uh, you know, I've I've given you ad nauseum my views on all of these things. We'll have a look. See what the what the uh, what the Washington Post has to say. Uh, increasingly, reading uh, international commentaries on the U.S. economy, its um, its uh, actions since uh, 2008, and uh, yeah, people are asking why, why, what's happening with the U.S. economy? Huh? Is it really strong? Uh, so much insecurity. Uh, look at the at the rabid nature of uh, the president in the White House. Hmm? Why? Why is Donald Trump so so vociferous in his demands? He wants three interest rate cuts this year. Uh, and of course, you see that this puts the U.S. Fed in a spot. You know, I mean, uh, they have to demonstrate their independence. They did demonstrate it at the last interest rate meeting where they didn't raise the interest rates according to Donald Trump's dictates. But by now, of course, uh, you know, being the rebel rouser that he is, he's got the uh, markets and the traders behind him. You know, speaking about a hundred percent expectation of a. 25 basis point interest rate cut coming today. In fact, it should, they should be making the announcement in about 15 minutes. So um, hopefully uh, we'll be able to catch that in the middle of the show. Um, yeah, why, why, why does the United States have to lower interest rates when its economy is apparently doing so swimmingly? Uh, you know, there's some very good reasons. You know, you throw easy money at an economy. And uh, efficiencies, that drive for efficiency, that dry throat, you know, when uh, returns aren't coming through, uh, really does uh, prompt managers, it prompts workers, it prompts everyone to work just that little bit harder. But when you no longer have that, uh, that discipline enforcing itself upon you, when you know that you're going to get easy money from the Fed, from the bond markets, uh, and you're going to be able to buy back as many shares as you like. You're going to be able to pump as much money into uh, unprofitable uh, subsidiaries as you like. Um, then uh, everyone is basically, you know, taking a back seat. Companies that should be going under are not going under. Zombie companies uh, continue continue operating, and that, in a way, is blunting the competitive edge of the U.S. economy. Um, since uh, in the last 10 years, I, I think it's something like 19,000 kilometers of uh, highway that uh, China has built in the last 10 years. 19,000 kilometers of highway. How many kilometers of highway has the United States built? Absolutely zero. 
Now, uh, you can understand, you see, this is a major issue about maturing economies, as I tend to kind of like um, categorize the world's economies. I don't like sort of emerging markets and uh, developed economies, no, or underdeveloped economies. No, I've, I've moved beyond that kind of nonsense. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the age of economies, where they are in terms of their maturation um, uh, growth uh, paths. And uh, you could say that in many ways, the United States, Europe, Japan, have all matured economies. They're not mature economies. They are matured economies. They have reached the fullest extent of their economic growth. And uh, from now on, it's uh, simply an implosion of eating, consuming what has been built before. And I mean, there's no no um, clearer way to illustrate that than the the belief in privatization that has uh, basically been on the drawing board ever since Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher uh, sit, uh, sat in the White House and in Number Ten Downing Street back in the 1980s. And that, in many ways, is you know they've privatized as much as they can in Europe. Um, in Britain and so on, and and now their privatization companies are going all around the rest of the world trying to make more money out of privatizing the silverware of other countries and taking a cut everywhere they go. I call it the Enronization of uh, infrastructure, basically following uh, the business model of Enron. Uh, what with... Um, uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa announcing uh, in his State of the Nation address that we are going to um, break up uh, ESCOM into three parts in generation, transmission and distribution. That is fully in accordance uh, with the Enron game plan. And of course the Enron game plan is uh, to game the government, to game the taxpayers, to game, to game the ratepayers. You know, to push up electricity prices, uh, to manipulate uh, energy supply over the grid, to manipulate the grid. Now, we've heard so many reports uh, coming out that in actual fact, many of the so-called uh, crises that we've had were in actual fact engineered specifically to try and push up prices and to try and push through policies uh, of the government. People are saying that the 2008 uh, blackouts that started uh, over December in Cape Town were, 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 not, were not a real crisis. And I mean, now, what, what, what do you believe? There's so many crazy stories coming out of the mainstream. You know, you just listen to the State Capture Commission, the PIC uh, Commission, and so on. And uh, you get uh, like a contradicting judges. You know, one judge says that this is illegal. Another judge says, no, it's illegal. One judge says, this man is innocent. And another judge says, no, he should have been found guilty. You know, uh, and uh, historians, historians, um, you can go and look it up if you want. Historians will tell you that, uh, you know, in terms of Western history, uh, civilizational collapse is imminent when people start losing confidence in their institutions. And boy, there's very little confidence in institutions in South Africa today, wouldn't you say? Uh, but then again, you know, it's the, the mask of the West that is slipping. This is the veil of the West, the corporation, the artificial identity, the legal fiction that is um, um, the corporate name. It doesn't really exist. It's given, it's given legal rights under the law. It's recognized. But it's nothing more than a mask uh, for people who want to hide uh, the kind of business activities and other nefarious activities that they're getting up to. It's a mask for the 1%. It's a mask. The political party is a mask. You know, they promise the electorate, and then straight after the election, they sell them out. Like the Syriza party in Greece. Huh? You know, imagine that ground swell of emotion and uh, unity in intent that characterized Greece uh, before they moved into in, into uh, bailout and austerity, austerity, uh, austerity territory, <laughs> austerity to territory um, uh, five years ago. And uh, now you've got the conservatives returned to power. And in indicating, you know, like uh, the conservatives were all fully for austerity. 
Now, Syriza was uh, opposed to austerity, but when the Syriza came in, immediately they implemented austerity and sold out and betrayed the electorate. Just like Donald Trump, you know, he's going to drain the swamp, then immediately he cuts taxes to the 1%. Um, just as, uh, just, uh, and just like Donald Trump or Syriza or the Conservative Party in England, so the ANC is also a political party. Um, it finds itself in an unholy alliance with the banking industry. It finds an un- itself in an unholy alliance with the corporate sector. It has to go and get donations in order to be able to conduct its elections. And uh, the need to raise funds is an ever-present worry in order to hold on to power. Uh, and, of course, then, you know, they engage in a whole lot of um, public uh, spending schemes, which many of which are coming to naught. You know, there's a really, really major threat that Madupi and Kosile are never, ever really going to see the light of day, that we're going to have thrown 500 billion rands worth of investment. Well, it's not that much in actual fact. Approaching 500 billion rands is where ESCOM's total debt is. Uh, Kosile and Madupi probably around about 300 billion, 350 billion. Okay, so it's not that bad. No, it is. It's terrible. 350 billion rands at major um, projects that are already obsolete before they've even started. Coal-fired power stations. Going to throw 350 billion rand at them. Now, all these years later, they're still not online. They're still contributing nothing to the grid. And, uh, and we've still got to throw more money at them. Where are we going to go? Then you have um, Pravin Gordon. Now you know he has uh, he has kept a firm hand on the tiller. He has been um, uh, uh, given a sense of stability to the government, hasn't he? He's come. He's been a major source of attack from uh, the so-called uh, state capture elements within the ANC and the EFF and the Zoomites and whatever you want to say. The thing is that the, this sector of the political spectrum in South Africa actually also does represent a genuine legitimate desire by a, a big section of our population. And that is that they want to see real economic improvements in their life, and they have not seen it. And we can blame all kinds of things, including the ANC, probably the number one uh, uh, target to point your finger at to blame. I mean, they're the ones who have had the reins of power. They have been the ones who've been able to make the decisions to spend 350 billion rand. And what kind of return have we got out of it? Increasing electricity prices. Uh, decreasing uh, security in energy supply. At the same time, you know, we're watching our water infrastructure running down. Uh, I'm, I'm very worried about food security in this country uh, with land reform. Um, there's just like antagonism and hostility everywhere in this country. Hmm? You know, anything that comes to get to be, um, that needs a commonality in purpose, uh, never gets anywhere because we're always driven with divisions, with doubts, and uh, with resentments, we, 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 we come to the negotiating table with vested interests and uh, we want to try and ensure that we win above all else. And very often uh, that simply results in the, 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 the negotiating table being demolished completely. Um, <clears throat> and the wise heads are not being listened to. And the hot heads are full of uh, vigor and, uh, and um, conviction, whereas the wise heads are full of doubt and uh, insecurity. Where are we going to go? You know, who do we trust? It's the time of the glistening of the sunrise on the, on the tips of the horns. It is still twilight. Oh, is it still twilight? So long after 1994, we're still in the twilight zone here in South Africa. Difficult to di- distinguish between friend and foe. You know, one day one person is saying something and you say, there's reliable. Next thing you know, he's exposed as a corrupt um, agent of state capture. And uh, it really is, it really is a major worry. 
how are we going to be able to turn this thing around? I've spoken many times on the show about our need to incorporate the clan, extended family uh, dynamics into our economy, uh, formalizing what is essentially the informal sector, um, and uh, unleashing our low-wage potential through the clan. Um, takes a lot of explanation and you know you, you you kind of like start sounding like a stuck record if you keep on sticking with these things so I don't, I, don't, I don't try and like sort of raise it every single show that I have because um, people would soon get sick and tired of it wouldn't they yeah you you you, you not only have to um, inform the crowd you also have to keep their attention and uh, that means that you can't be monotonous oh dear am I getting monotonous I hope not Anyway, good news coming out today. A trade surplus. South Africa recorded a 4.42 billion rand trade surplus in June after a revised 1.7 billion rand surplus in May. Uh, that's according to the South African Revenue Service. Exports fell 3.2% on a month-on-month basis to 108.17 billion rand in June, while imports were down 5.8% uh, to 103.75 billion rands. So it, it, it just meant that we uh, we went into decline, but we declined in, in uh, proper proportion. So we, we we're still in positive territories there. So that's good news. Uh, Anglo Gold Ashanti, uh, of course, is still busy with uh, wage negotiations at the moment. It says earnings likely rose as much as 29% in the first half, boosted by income from a legal settlement, gains at its Kabali joint venture, and a drop in costs. Really strange, you know. Um, uh, well, uh, well, actually, it's... Uh, yeah, a lot of the gold price increases actually happened. Well, actually, it depends on when their first half and second half begins. In June, yeah, all right. So a lot of the gold price increases actually happened after the year end. Uh, but, uh, you know, I would have thought a $100 increase in the gold price would have also been a reason for its uh, earnings likely rising and probably continuing to rise, although we're going to see uh, within a few minutes, hopefully, uh, what effect uh, the U- what decision the U.S. Fed has taken, and and that could have um, could have something uh, could have an influence on the outlook for the gold price. But uh, many gold traders saying they see a price of thousand four hundred and fifty dollars uh, average uh, throughout the year. So that means that it's actually going to have to go up much higher than that in order to to meet that average. Uh, but you know, you know, there's, uh, these are opinions, and uh, it's easy to make an opinion. Hmm? Uh, Anglo Gold said in May it would review divestment options for its Mponeng mine and other South African assets to focus on higher returns elsewhere, and it says it is pushing ahead with this plan. The process to streamline the Anglo Gold Ashanti portfolio continues with sale processes ongoing in South Africa, Mali, and Argentina. It says uh, it will re- release its results on August the eighth. So it's good to see um, uh, that uh, the uh, South African Revenue Services, uh, under its new head, uh, I think it was Andrew Kisveta, is not uh, wasting any time. They've placed three key executives on precautionary suspension and extended the, the suspension of another executive today. Hlingani Matabula, the Chief Officer of Governance, International Relations, Strategy and Communications, has been... Uh, uh, put on suspension, Tebojo Mokwena, Chief Officer, Human Capital and Development, and Luther Lebello, uh, Group Executive Employee Relations, have all been placed on precautionary suspension. Uh, these are pending the finalization of the disciplinary process. And now all of this is also happening. Oh, it's Edward Kisweta, sorry. Uh, all of this is happening now. Suddenly, uh, Busesimu Kobani is, um, is now investigating uh, the, our new commissioner. He's only just got in. And now it would appear that he is taking action against uh, what would have been basically, I suppose, in many ways, the state catcher guys while Bain was there restructuring it, much to the um, uh, deleterious effect for our country. Uh, Precautionary suspensions are effective immediately. They do not amount to findings of wrongdoing, Sar says. Um, Standard Bank uh, has made a major turnaround. Uh, last year it said it's not going to uh, 
uh, issue loans to any uh, coal-fired uh, to coal-fired projects and so on. And now it suddenly is saying today, update on policy on lending to coal-fired power projects and coal mining operations. It says in process of developing a policy on lending to coal mining operations. Oh, very interesting. Suddenly that's a that's a major turnaround. I wonder, making one wonder, was this not possibly an an anti-ESCOM decision that was taken last year? They 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 they're not buying any ESCOM bonds, which is just like got nothing to do with coal. It's simply a good business decision. But yeah, you know, as I say, there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of spite in things that are going on in South Africa. Why? You know, it's a big decision to make last year. We're not going to invest in coal. And now suddenly they're turning around 180 degrees and saying we are going to invest in coal. Well, i let you chew on that while we cross to the marketplace for this commercial break. You are listening to the voice of Ahlus Sunnah Wal well, remember, if you want to phone in, our telephone number here in Lanasia is 010 0 And uh, if you don't want to talk on the air, you can always WhatsApp us a message or an opinion. Our telephone number, uh, our WhatsApp number is 084 786 084-786-3132. Uh, we are eagerly awaiting to hear from you. If you have views, we will share them. And uh, and if you call in, I promise I'll be polite and very friendly. Uh, and don't forget uh, medical files uh, tonight with uh, Dr. Yusuf Vahed coming up uh, after this. Uh, a really interesting lesson live at 8 p.m. Uh, and uh, yeah. It's always got interesting uh, issues coming up, and I'm a bit of a hypochondriac myself, so I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of like, you know, got an ear out for a bit of free advice, you know what I mean? Yes. Well, anyway, taxpaying time is upon us again, and uh, we've passed that the, the deadline time for the U.S. Fed to make its decision, uh, but I'm, I'm Googling like mad, and uh, I'm afraid so far still no news coming through. Uh, so it looks as though you know they. It's a. It's a bit like uh, you know you've got to be. You've got to make a bit of a late entrance in order to to have an impact. It looks like uh, the U.S. Fed is playing hard to get at the moment. Um, well, if you're a taxpayer, uh, you're a provisional taxpayer, and you've not yet submitted your first tax return for this year, uh, SARS is saying it's best uh, you you get busy with it because payment is due at the end of August. And uh, you could be facing a 10% penalty on the amount you owe. And interest, of course, will also be charged on late payments. <clears throat> However, the technical glitches experienced at the start of the 2019 filing season are still around. Uh, they've, made, they've made efforts to fix things. Uh, and the Revenue Service has acknowledged the dissatisfaction. Taxpayers have expressed over the glitches while trying to submit their tax returns. It appears there are problems around logging in, uh, not receiving one-time PINs, uh, inability to upload supporting documents, and also the issues impacting filing, and that includes assessment and tax calculator uh, results. Uh, so these uh, are persisting. The SARS says they're taking the efforts, uh, the issues very seriously, doing all their best to resolve them expeditiously and to minimize the impact on compliant taxpayers who fulfill their filing obligations. So now, uh, a few days ago, we were going on about um, Dr. Moaketsi Mosola, uh, the outgoing city of China municipal manager. By outgoing, we don't mean that he is effusive and uh, an extrovert. We mean that he's been given his marching orders. Uh, and uh, it's a very nice little marching order. I wouldn't mind being given a marching order like that. Seven million rand golden handshake. Well, it has come to the attention of the ANC um, Gauteng uh, provincial government. Of course, uh, Trani is under a DA metro administration. And uh, Gauteng Human Settlements MEC Lebochang Maile say he says he is seeking clarity over the handshake said to be paid uh, to Mosola. He wrote to Trani Mayor Steven Mokalapa on Tuesday following reports of a separation agreement be between the city and Mosola, uh, which states that the former manager's five-year contract ends in 2020 
will be paid remaining remuneration in full, plus 18%, if my memory serves me correctly. Maile says legal action will be considered if this is true. Uh, it's just that um, I don't know if maybe Lebochang is um, not too up to date on, 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 on the powers, you know, and the independence uh, of... Uh, of local municipality and local government, all of this is written up in a constitution and everything. Um, and I think uh, the Tuani Metro is basically going to say to province that, listen, thank you very much for your opinions, but, you know, the constitution does guarantee us the right to manage our own budgets, and we are managing this budget according to the way we feel we should. Uh, I'm, of course, I'm, uh, I'm sure as just as much outraged as anyone would be uh, to think that uh, someone completely unfit for the task has never been in uh, municipal administration before, suddenly made the municipal manager, basically as a, a, um, a nod to the EFF, and the EFF was then supposed to continue supporting the DA. But then when Moiketsi Mosola's ambitions uh, grew too big, and he wanted to replace the DA's uh, candidate for Gauteng Premier, uh, he was told, sorry, but you're not going to get that. And as a result, conditions deteriorated. The EFF is no longer friends with the DA. Um, it's, a, it's a bit like, you know, um, the EFF uh, uh, used to say that uh, Jacob Zuma was my president. Then they said, no, you pay back the money, pay back the money. And now they're all defending Zuma. You know, they're all out in the ANC uh, who wanted to get rid of Zuma. I mean, uh, where where is is the central policy in all of this? It's uh, it's uh, completely depraved, you know. The 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 only constant thing about the EFF is the red color of the of the uh, overalls, the same color as uh, Donald Trump's tie, and that, uh, I think that is in actual fact the real connection. To claim that they're like sort of some kind of progressive socialist party is a bit of a joke, uh, considering um, the kind of like uh, bottles of Moet Chandon taken out of the, the garbage cans in their Camps Bay house uh, a while back. Um, you know, one of the lesser kind of like disgusting aspects about uh, South African uh, politics, uh, a reality. Uh, Maile says, if it is true, we are demanding that the municipality, municipality should not proceed in that manner because we think that it is a lot of money. It is. It is a lot of money for doing nothing. And secondly, as you know, there are a lot of allegations that the municipal manager is facing. All right, well, then that sounds like a very clear-cut kind of like legal challenge. Um, I think maybe Lebochang is more doing this to kind of like uh, raise a light above the fact that uh, the DA Metro uh, in Chuane was just supposedly um, voted in on the hopes that it will be more efficient than the ANC, that it will be more honest than the ANC, that it's not going to be paying ridiculous amounts to buddies, uh, is, is failing. In all regards, I mean, if you have a look at uh, Dr. Mosola's um, fate in Chwane, uh, then you can only say that, uh, well, it's just more of the same, isn't it? Uh, very sadly so, but that's uh, that's a Western political system uh, asserting itself, you know. The political party is required to sell out the people that it voted for, otherwise it can't stay in power. Uh, Maile says, I don't think that it is right that a person who is facing serious allegations will just be given a handshake. The reason we wrote is because we do not want to assume that it is true. We did say in our letter that if the municipality proceeds, we will consider going to court. All right. Well, now, um, let me go and have a look again. Let's uh, go and have a look see. Has the U.S. Fed said anything? Um... Let me uh, let me just do a, a search for U.S. Fed again, and no, um, maybe I should just do tools, and uh, we'll go to yes, we're in tools, uh, sorted by date. It's already sorted by date, and uh, it doesn't look as though uh, the U.S. Fed has made any decisions, made any announcements, or maybe it's just the journalists aren't as good as I used to be in the old days, you know. Yes. U.S. Fed. Uh, RAND strengthens as market await U.S. Fed interest rate decision. Uh, that was this morning's story. Uh, tools. 
latest all results. You go and click on all results and you say, no, no. Now what is happening? All oh, right, okay, I must go click on news. Click on news first. Then I go to tools and it says sorted by relevance. No, I don't want it sorted by relevance. I want the latest news. So I say sorted by date. That is how I navigate my way around Google. Um, and still nothing out. Still nothing out. So I guess we're going to have to wait a little later, maybe even until tomorrow before we're actually going to... I mean, even if they do say that, of cut, well, I mean, the interesting thing is, have they cut by uh, 50 basis points or 25 basis points? And I mean, they're, they're, that's the issue. That's the, that's the bottom line that everyone's waiting to see. And it's it's really sad that uh, such a little nudge uh, could have such a big effect all around the world. Um, well, anyway, um, Feriel Hafaji, um, uh, former City Press editor, uh, has uh, has written a column today about uh, uh, Pakamani Khadebe's comments towards the end of ESCOM's uh, annual results presentation yesterday where he said that ESCOM is in a death spiral. And uh, she's had a look at uh, what Private Gordon has done in order to try and save ESCOM. And she says, yes, it's very difficult to come to any other conclusion than we remain in a death spiral. She says, like a man liberated from the yoke of economic correctness, outgoing ESCOM chief executive Pakamani Khadebe put a name on what's happening at ESCOM. It's in a death spiral, he said on Tuesday as he presented the company's annual statements. It is. ESCOM made a loss of over 20 billion rand, lower than predicted, but still the outcome of crippling debt and sinking sales. Uh, the only good news, as investigator Nazmira Muller wrote, is that the energy availability factor has improved, suggesting that the emphasis on the maintenance of power stations is beginning to bear fruit. Other than that, ESCOM's reform is stalled, as this week's numbers show, and as the extraordinary Treasury bailout last week revealed. It's running on empty, and it threatens to drag the country down with it. ESCOM's debt is now bundled up with sovereign debt, to all intents and purposes, and Finance Minister Tito Mbeweni's effort to ring-fence one or the other has not worked. At the same time, the government's promises to restructure ESCOM have come to nothing. To great acclaim, President Sul Ramaphosa promised a restructuring plan for ESCOM in February and the unbundling of the utility into its generation, transmission and distribution components, basically the enronization of our electricity sector. Not really going to do much, but anyway, even that hasn't happened. With the promise of private participation with provide skills and capital injection in parts of it. That plan has gone nowhere because trade unions at ESCOM quickly objected. Then Ramaphosa did what he does when faced with a problem. He set up a presidential advisory panel and sued the unions with the promise there would be no job losses. I'd just like to point out at this juncture that ESCOM has 48,000 workers. Originally, about uh, 15, 20 years ago, it had 16,000 workers. They doubled that amount to 32,000 and then they added another 16,000 to 48,000. So basically, ESCOM has to reduce its numbers by two-thirds. And that is kind of a political pain that uh, Sul Ramaphosa just can't get, what with uh, Kasata being uh, his main support in sweeping him to power at uh, the ANC elections uh, uh, last year. So, mm, you know, hard choices have to be made, and it doesn't appear as though we have anyone with the actual strength to make those choices. Since then, nothing has been heard of the plan. Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon is also obviously stressed because he's making poor decisions at ESCOM. Two part-time heads. As has been pointed out, his decision to make ESCOM chairperson Jabu Mabuza the executive chairperson is completely out of kilter with the best corporate governance practice. Not only that, but Mabuza is a busy man. He sits on many boards and runs a fabulous business empire of his own. ESCOM is now a 24-7 job. But Gordon has made an appointment of an executive who is too busy for that, as good a business leader as Mabuza is. It doesn't matter. He is not going to be able to handle all of that and turn ESCOM around. I mean, it just kind of like says, um, we're not really interested in turning ESCOM around. That's what it says. When you, when you put a guy who's got so many hats on, then you know he's not going to be able to focus on ESCOM. He's not going to be able to give it the focus it has. And it basically means, in many ways, the government has given up. That's the way I see it. But uh, Ferrell Hafaji says, then Norman, Norman Freeman, uh, sorry, then Freeman Nomvalo, 
as the new chief restructuring officer beggars belief. Nomvalo uh, is the Treasury's former accountant general and ran that institution with rigor and aplomb. But now he will remain as chief executive of the South African Institute of Chartered Accountants while at the same time heading a restructuring office at ESCOM. <clears throat> can you see the problem here, she asks. I, I certainly can. You have two heads at ESCOM who are essentially part-time. In addition, Gordon's communique says that SICA, the South African Institute of Chartered Accountants, will provide a secretariat or brains trust for the ESCOM restructuring. This is just madness. SICA is a regulatory body that oversees accountants and trains future chartered accountants. It does it very well, and it has assistant government to fix its vocational and training colleges, but it has never restructured an electricity utility, never mind one that is in its death spiral, nor does it have experience negotiating with hard-balling trade union bosses who run ESCOM. SICA interprets its role of the next six months as follows. It says, SICA is to assist the government with a program aimed at reorganizing the operational and funding structures of ESCOM for the purposes of making it profitable, while at the same time meeting the country's needs. The project will be part of SICA's nation-building initiative. Oh, wow. Well, you know, we're so thankful for that. Um, for SICA, this is a corporate social investment project for the country. It's doing or dying. There is nothing in that description that aligns with Ramaphosa's promise to restructure ESCOM and the scripting of it suggests it was decided just hours before ESCOM announced its financials. So it was a, like a scrap, like um, um, a, a Band-Aid kind of like uh, approach to a gaping wound. If this is the best plan that Gordon and Ramaphosa can come up with after so many months, it is perhaps a consideration that the almost permanent war with the public protector Busisibum Kobani is beginning to take its toll on the usually razor-sharp strategy brains of both leaders. Our leaders need to go back to the drawing board, or else South Africa may join ESCOM in the death spiral. That's Federal Hafiji. I would agree with her there. I mean, uh, if you consider the kind of guys who work at ESCOM, uh, you know, they're usually kind of like hard-boiled guys themselves, you know. Um, uh, and I will tell you something about them, the engineers. Uh, they don't have a very high opinion uh, of these university graduates. And most essentially, they don't have a very high opinion of chartered accountants who, you know, sit there with their noses in a book never get their fingernails dirty, um, haven't, haven't built calluses on their hands, trying to fix steam pipes and so on. Uh, and now these guys are going to come along and they're going to fix everything. They're not going to fix everything. Accountants can't fix everything. They can write figures in books. But in terms of leaders of men, you know, Pravin Gordon, okay, he's an auditor. He, he thinks like an auditor. Fine. He reckons that the auditor's brains are very clean and precise and the wonderful worlds to live in. But unfortunately, you know, um, uh, the conditions inside an auditor's brain are not the conditions uh, that are prevailing at ESCOM at the moment. And, you know, uh, sending accountants with pencils uh, to the front um, to, to wage your war as your crack troops. It's going to be a bit like a Newfoundland, Newfoundland uh, in World War I. Uh, they drew up an entire regiment of all the eligible men uh, of war voting, of war fighting age, some of them 15, 16, 17 years old, and sent all of them, its entire menfolk, across to Britain to go and fight the Great War. And in one morning... In one morning, in fact, in one hour, in fact, less than one hour, every single one of those men was dead. Every single one. Newfoundland lost every single man that had sent to World War I. And I'm afraid that, Saika, if you're going to be sending chartered accountants with sharpened pencils and little notebooks into ESCOM to go and turn it around, while ESCOM is in a death spiral, I can only say do not expect many to return. Do not expect many to return. Uh, well, what's, what about gold? Gold has been going up uh, the, lay the last while. It's, uh, it's um, recovered more than, uh, well, is it something like 1,280? It's, it's, it's almost $150 up 
over just over a month ago. Hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, that's a thousand five hundred. That's uh, two thousand two hundred twenty dollars. Two hundred two thousand two hundred and fifty rands an ounce increase. So it's not, it's not small change. Uh, but uh, let's have a look. While we are still waiting to see, maybe we're going to have time to hear about the U.S. Fed again. We'll do another search. I'll just get rid of that one. And I'll add another search engine there. U.S. Fed. U.S. Fed. Top stories. Still nothing. No news. No news. Rand strengthens its markets await. Global mirrors await U.S. Fed decision. Await U.S. Fed decision. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, they really are playing hard to get. Um... Ah uh, well, well let, 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 let's find out then. Okay, what uh, what does the gold market think of the U.S. Fed? Gold investors are positioning for further gains in the lead up to the Federal Reserve's first expected cut to interest rates in more than a decade. So they're hoping that is going to benefit the gold price. It's going to send it up. Holdings in bullion back to ETF exchange traded funds rose 4.8 tons to 2,350 tons, the highest since April 2013, according to data compiled by Bloomberg uh, Tuesday. So, I mean, you know, ETFs aren't going to be buying gold if they're not expecting to be making money from gold. But then, of course, you know, it's also a gamble. Uh, in silver, the combined volume of calls and puts has surged above 220,000 contracts this month on calls for the highest since November 2010, a sign of greater speculative interest in the metal. Spot bullion was steady at 1430 Dollars an ounce uh, at 12 o'clock in London. Silver slipped 0.6% to $16.46 an ounce. A gold may be poised for a breakout here, with prices on course for a third monthly gain, as investors anticipate rate cuts from the Fed as growth slows and trade war frictions bite. Bullion has also drawn investor interest as other risks mount, with tensions rising in Europe over Brexit and in the Persian Gulf between Iran and Western nations. I would say this latter has had a greater influence than the other two. Uh, adding to signals of an economic slowdown, data from China uh, today showed manufacturing shrank again in July. Gold will be looking, in, uh, looking for direction in the tone of the Fed chief's rhetoric, Alfonso Esparza, senior market analyst at Oanda Corporation, said today. More dovish statements could lead to a weaker dollar and a higher price for gold. But neutral to hawkish comments on the economy could lead to a rebound in the dollar, putting uh, downward pressure on the metal, he said. Right. President Donald Trump stepped up his attacks on the Fed on Tuesday. And this guy's a nut, you know, he's, 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 he's attacking anything. Um, uh, well, you know, uh, while George W. Bush was still the president of the United States, I said, I really hope that they don't replace George W. Bush with a nice guy. Because, uh, you know, it's still going to be a very ugly nation. It's still going to have a... a, a um, homicidal uh, foreign policy, most especially if you're either African or Muslim. And uh, really, what the world doesn't need is a nice guy, smiley face, you know, coming on top of the White House. And that's exactly what we got. So in many ways, uh, with Donald Trump, uh, I've got what I was asking for. America as it really is. Warts and all. Um, he stepped up his attacks on the Fed on Tuesday demanding a large cut in rates to support the economy. It also hit out at China for what he said was its unwillingness to buy American farm products as the two nations resume trade talks. Well, Donald, uh, you've, uh, you've created the conditions um, of your own making. You don't like them. I'm afraid you shouldn't have been Donald Trump. Well, that's all we have time for for today. Jazakumullah for joining us. I make dua that whatever trading activity you get up to today is profitable. And above all, halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.